The Church and the End of the World feels like the title to a sci-fi novel, which is probably why I like it so much. The Church and the End of the World. That's what we're going to talk about today. Um, if you remember the arc that we're working, for, working through, um, that we're seeing all these systematic theology topics um, built into, the arc is creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Last week, Jason started in on the restoration part, talking about sanctification. And this week, we deal with really the kind of the two other things that are happening in this time, the church, and then the end, when all things are, in fact, restored. So that's what we're going to talk about. Um, we're probably going to spend the bulk of our time today talking about the church, uh, but we will spend a little time on the end also. Let's pray, and then we'll, we'll dig in. God, our Father, we ask you to remove the blinders that are in our hearts and on our eyes when it comes to understanding the nature of your church. We ask that you would break down the walls that we've built around our hearts, um, walls that we've built to protect us from hurt and pain and vulnerability. God, we ask that you would fill us with the desire to be the church presented holy and pure to Christ through the washing with water with the word. Fill us with a desire to be full of your spirit till we overflow, till people can't help but notice that we are your people. God, help us to understand your word today, protect us from error, provide for our needs. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so just a quick disclaimer. Um, had at one point an outline that had a whole lot of really technical points about the church and this weekend I threw out that outline and I'm going somewhere completely different. So if you were really excited to hear about things like unity of the church and how that works or leadership roles in the church or the sacraments of the church um, and many many other things like that, unfortunately that's not what you're going to get today. But I would love to talk with you about that. Um, and I'm sorry if you were excited for that. I hate to disappoint you. What we are going to talk about today is the fact that the church is important. What you believe about the church is incredibly important. It's so important. Why? Well, let's get to why. But first, let me warn you. It is very easy if you live in North America today to think of yourself as a Christian without it meaning very much. You see this all around you, and you're better than the people around you probably in your heart you think that. Because you undoubtedly work with or hang out with or see or bump into people who are church people. Yeah, I go to such and such church, and that's where I punch my church card. And But they don't live like it. They just That's their church. We're surrounded here in Appalachia with church culture that is cultural, not not heart change oriented. And it's really dangerous to do that to yourself. And it's even easier for us because we're good Pharisees to go, yeah, but I do better than those people. I go to church and I really listen. I go to church and I really, I engage in the worship. So I'm better than those people. 
I don't just go to church and you know punch my card and check out. I stay and help clean up afterwards. I must be truly holy. Don't shut your mind off just because we're talking about church again. Please. Let me ask you some questions that I think reveal what you actually believe about the church. Do you spend time praying for the people you go to church with? When you have an emergency come up in your life, is the person you call someone you go to church with? Or do you have people that you rely on? You know, people that I can count on, not the people I go to church with. Are you comfortable being vulnerable with the people that you go to church with? Really being vulnerable? Do you feel like you're close to your church family? Is that, is that something you'd say is true? I think those are important questions. It's important for us to be thinking about how the church shapes us. How our involvement in God's church shapes us. Providence Bible Church does not want to be a cultural church. The leaders at Providence Bible Church don't want to be the place that you come in, put in your time card, sit for an hour, put in your time card. You know what? That's such a funny analogy. We don't put time cards into anything anymore, right? We click a button and we're we're clocked in. We click a button and we're clocked out. But back in the day, you know, you would actually punch a card. The first employer I worked for had a had a punch card system. Um, and but we don't want to be that for you. We don't want to be a place where you keep time. If you're watching the clock, just make sure I get my two hours of church in. We don't want to be that. We want to be much more than that. We don't want to be a place where you get social validation. It's another thing a lot of us use church for. This, this is, you know, I'm okay because those people are okay, therefore I'm okay. We don't want to be that. So the question I hope to answer today, the question that I want to drag us through, is what does Christ intend for his church? What's Christ in, what is Christ's intent for his church? The first thing is that it is Christ's church. And it is made up of all who believe him. It is Christ's church. I'm going to have scripture up here. Um, let me side plug. If you have an Apple device or an Android device and you use Logos, it will actually tell you, because you're in this room watching this presentation, that, hey, you can actually get all these scripture verses right up there on your screen. That's really cool. You should think about doing that. But they'll be up here. I'm going to read a lot today. Um, there's going to be a lot of scripture. But I think it's important stuff. It is Christ's church. This is a, an interaction that, that Jesus had with the disciples. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the, of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth 
shall be loosed in heaven. One of the things we want to be serious about as believers is believing that it's Christ's church. It is his church. He is responsible for leading it, for shaping it, for bringing people to it. It is Christ's church. We want to be subject to Christ. It's a general call, by the way. It's not like there are there's this subset of believers that are called to be part of the church and then this subset that, you know, they're not part of the church. No, everybody who believes in Jesus is part of the church. Now, there's two usages for the word church. There's kind of the church universal, and then there's the local church. You're not necessarily, everybody in the universe is not called to be a part of Providence Bible Church. But everybody is called to be part of the church, everybody who believes in Jesus. It's his church. The default setting for a believer is supposed to be, I'm part of the church. And particularly, I'm part of a local church. It is essential. It's not essential that you be part of this church. I will give you that. But it is essential that if you are a believer, you must be part of a church. You must. If you're not doing that, then you're saying that somehow those commands, they're not for you. I'm, I'm the, I have I have better wisdom than what God revealed in the Bible. That's crazy. You ought to be in the church. As a brief aside, just to give you one of the technical things that mostly I'm not going to hit today. Providence Bible Church, we believe that the church is led by a group of elders, not by a single pastor, but by several pastors. Um, what that means is we have multiple leaders who who meet and discuss and, and work through issues and make decisions. We're not afraid to have different roles amongst our leadership. You see that. I mean, you know, Jason very clearly has a specific role leading worship. Um, you'll see in coming months that Moon has a specific role teaching the Word. Um, I get to hang out with kids in youth group a lot. That's my role. Hamlet has a role leading cell groups and giving vision to that. We're not afraid to have different roles, but we interact with with each other on leadership decisions. We make those decisions together. Um, that also means that we're not congregational. You won't you won't have to vote on anything. Um, but if you really want to vote on something, that might be disappointing news. This, the practice of multiple elders became the practice of the church very early in the church being established. You had the disciples at Jerusalem, and then as churches started to be developed um, really quickly, you had Paul and Barnabas in Acts 14 going to a place, preaching the gospel, converts being made, and then before they left, hey, we're going to, these, these men are your elders, they're going to lead this place. So we we feel like that's a, a good thing, and that's a practice we want to follow. Um, later in Scripture, you're given instructions about the qualifications of elders, and it seems like that's the biblical practice, um, is multiple elders working together, praying together, loving the church together, and and setting setting the direction for that local church. Please pray for the elders of Providence Bible Church. We need your prayers. We need things like unity and wisdom and graciousness and kindness. We need that. Pray for us. So it's Christ's church, and he leads a specific way. 
but it's his church. He's building it. That's what's so beautiful about that passage. It's not, Peter, that's a beautiful proclamation you've just made, and you should go build the church. No, it's Peter on that rock, that proclamation that I am the... the sorry, I'm losing my place now. That I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. On that proclamation, I will build my church. Jesus does it. It's his church. And that's important. It's his church. So why, though? Why did Christ institute the church? What does he want from the church? I think you can look at three purposes. And I'm borrowing this very, very broadly from Wayne Grudem, who, if you're going to go out and buy a systematic theology... That's the systematic theology I would encourage you to buy. It's a very good one. It's very thorough. Um, Three purposes for the church. And signified by three relationships. In our relationship to God, the purpose of the church is worship. In our relationship with each other as believers, the purpose of the church is maturity and ministry. Equipping people for ministry particularly. And in relation to the world, evangelism. Worship, maturity and ministry, and evangelism. In relation to God, let's just talk through these. In relation to God, we're called to worship, to give God the glory. Let, just a couple passages. Colossians 3, 15 through 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then over in Ephesians 5, But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Sorry, my clicker is not cooperating real well. So in relation to God, we're called to worship. What do we mean by worship? Do we mean the 45 minutes that we sang this morning? Is that that what we're after? That's part of what we're after, surely. But it's not what we're after. It's not the entirety. It's incomplete on its own. Worship, when we talk about worship, we mean a life that brings glory to God. Remember the arc that we're talking about. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Worship is part of restoration. It's us being restored to a right relationship with God. When we're in a in a fallen relationship with God, when we are not in a right relationship with God, we can't give him the glory. We can't worship him. We're too busy worshiping ourselves. We're too busy with what we care about. But when we're transformed by Christ through redemption, he restores us to a right relationship with God. So we're part, 
when we worship, when we worship through our whole lives, we are part of restoring God's plan for the world. Not perfectly. The church is part of restoration. Things aren't perfectly restored. We live in, um, theologians like to use the term already, not yet, and I really like that. The kingdom of, of heaven, the kingdom of God, is already come, but not yet come. Christ is seated on the throne in heaven. He sat down because his work is done. The kingdom has come, but it hasn't yet come. It hasn't come completely. Already, not yet. The kingdom will come one day when the king returns in glory. So it's already, but it's not yet. Does that make sense? Are you tracking? Um, that's a really important thing to get your head around because we don't get to experience restoration perfectly when we're saved. Something that is still coming. But we do get to experience it. It's already here. Worship is mankind's calling. That's what we were built for. We were built to give God the glory. That's our job. And without Christ, we can't do it. But with Christ, we do it. And we do it as the church. And again, I just want to make sure you understand, when we talk about worship, especially as Christians living in the year 2013 in North America, we think we have a worship pastor, and that's the guy with the guitar or the piano. Um, we have a worship service, and that's the hour that we sing, and then we hear about the Bible a little bit. Um, that's kind of ingrained in our society, but it's not what we're talking about, not entirely. It's not wrong, let me say, that these are forms through which we worship. We sing, we pray, we stand, we listen to a sermon. These are forms through which we worship, but they're not the only forms. What you do Monday, what you do Tuesday, what you do Friday, what you do Saturday night, should be acts of worship, should be related to giving God the glory. It's not So it's not complete. But what happens here on Sunday morning, when we worship together corporately, is an important thing, because it's a great time for God to recenter us on who he is, on who we are, on the fact that he deserves all the glory. And that's why Jason puts so much time and effort into this stuff. He does a great job. He prays and he works, and it's hard. But he's helping us to have a time where we can recenter on what God is doing in the world. But worship is more than just that. So let me put it to you this way. If you think of worship and all you can think of is what you do for 40 minutes at church on Sunday morning, you're wrong. But if you think of worship and you think it has nothing to do with what you do for 40 minutes on Sunday, you're also wrong. Your entire life ought to be oriented towards giving God glory. And we do that as the church. That's our, that's our function as it relates to God is to worship Him, to give Him all the glory. That's our, that's our job. So in relation to God, worship. In relation to believers, maturity and equipping for ministry. Colossians 1, 27-29 To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the... Oh, I'm reading the wrong passage, aren't I? There we go. Are the riches of the glory of this ministry 
which is, it, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Ephesians 4, 11-16 And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In relation to believers, maturity and ministry. Now, not ministry done by the elders of the church, but ministry done by believers, equipping for ministry. Our relationship with each other is very important to what happens as the church. This is what Jason talked about last week, sanctification. Sanctification, the right the right context for sanctification is the church. This is where sanctification is supposed to be happening. It's supposed to be happening as we're in each other's lives. As we're, as our, as my sharp edges are rubbing up against your sharp edges and getting sharper. As my rough edges are bumping up against your rough edges and getting smoothed out. That's how we relate to each other. That's why church is so important to sanctification. We don't naturally want to live that way. We don't naturally come to church and think, I should be vulnerable today and I should be open to, you know, to this experience where my sin is going to be worked on and your sin is going to be worked on, that's not easy. We cherish our sin. We cherish our standing. I cherish my standing. I want you to think I'm a good person. I want you to think, that Andrew, he's a pretty good guy. That doesn't promote vulnerability. though. That doesn't promote sanctification. In fact, it kind of promotes the opposite. It promotes whitewashed sepulchers or tombs. Sepulchre is a cool word. Cool word. Um, we must be transformed to being the kind of people who are more afraid of continuing in sin than they're afraid of gossip, who are more inclined to bear with one another than to talk about each other behind each other's backs. We must be transformed. And we must, as a church, be equipping one another. That's what we're doing. That's what we're hoping to do. As we meet in communities, as we answer questions, as we help people to understand better what it is we believe, our hope is that that's equipping you to go out and tell other people about it. That we're equipping you to do the ministry that God's called you to. Because God has called you to ministry if you're a believer. 
He's called you to good works. Scripture's plain about that. He's given us the apostles, the prophets, the teachers, in order that we may be equipped and that we might be mature. The Christian life is a journey. The Christian life is not, hey, I got saved today and now I never have to do another thing. It's a journey of sanctification, growing closer to Christ, growing more like Christ. That last passage was beautiful. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Not grow up like, pejoratively like, ha, grow up. No, grow up, like be transformed, like from a child to a man. Grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now listen up. If you're a believer, your your fellow believers need you. The church cannot have every part working if you're not working, if you're not part of what's happening. We need each other. That's the nature of the community that Christ instituted when he said, I will build my church. It's a community that needs one another. We need to hear from you. We need to be praying for you. I need you to be praying for me. I need to have unfortunate run-ins with your sin, and you need to have unfortunate run-ins with mine. And it will hurt, and we need to be the kind of people who talk about that. That is antithetical to a lot of, and that just means the opposite of, sorry, for you younger guys, that's antithetical to the way we want to operate. I'm a people pleaser. I just want you to like me. I just want it to be easy. Oh, you hurt my feelings, but it's not a big deal. Let's just move on. When really, what needs to happen is... Maybe you've got an anger thing that needs to be dealt with. But no, let's just move on. Let's skip past that. Oh, I'm fighting with my wife a lot, but let me not tell you about that. Let's not, let's not wrestle with that. Wait, no. The church is the context in which we ought to be dealing with that. We ought to be bearing with one another. Holding each other up. Helping each other with our burdens. A lot easier, though, to come for two hours, hang out, eat a meal together, talk in pleasantries, and then leave and feel like you did something good. That's not the community we're called to. By the way, just another advertisement for cell groups. This is why we think cell groups are important. Because you can't have a conversation about your sin in the context of 80 people. Just can't. You're human, and it's really hard to do that. But you can have that conversation when you're standing on my porch afterwards, when it's three or four guys standing around, I can say, hey, you know what? I'm struggling with anxiety lately, and it's really bad, and I'm having a hard time trusting God, and I need to be encouraged. And I can say that, and I can be encouraged. Or you can say, I've been losing it with my kids in a really unhealthy way, and I just need help. I need coping mechanisms. I need you guys to call me on it. You can say that in cell groups. You can't necessarily have that conversation here let me encourage you the kind of community we need to be building happens best in those in those small groups in our cell groups 
So please be a part of that. If you don't know where you belong, ask one of the elders. We will tell you where you should go on Wednesday night. Really important. This is about belonging, too. Um, Sam Gamgee, Samwise Gamgee, is one of my favorite characters from The Lord of the Rings. Might be one of yours, too. Maybe not. Maybe you're more of a of a Frodo Baggins type of guy, or maybe you really like Aragorn. I love Aragorn. He's, you know, big sword. He's the king. Uh, but Sam is my favorite because Sam, the entire time you read that book, you, you are in, reminded over and over again that Sam is out of context. Sam's context is the Shire. Everything Sam does is about the Shire. When he's eating elven bread that is supposedly delicious, he's kind of like, I'd really rather have food from the Shire. That's Sam. Sam belongs, and he longs to be home. I don't want to ruin it for you if you haven't read it yet, but towards the end of the book, there's this moment where Sam and Frodo have this conversation about being back home and what they'll tell their kids about this story. And it's just so clear that Sam belongs. And I think the reason I like Sam so much is that I long to belong. I want that so much. I want to be a part of of community. And that's God's intention for us in the church. His community is that we would be brothers, sisters, family. We need to be building community. We need to be dealing with each other's sin. We need to be equipping one another for ministry. That's our relationship to each other. That's the second. So in relation to God, worship. In relation to each other, maturity dealing with our sin, learning, equipping, being equipped for ministry. If you long for the kingdom, the church is the place that you find it, this side of king, this side of heaven. You belong. You belong in the church if you're a believer. We want it to be a radical thing. We don't want to be a country church that people, like I said, punch their card. That's not what we're after. We're after community. After community. And in relation to the world. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to, to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Great Commission. We're called to go and make disciples. People often say momentous things with their last words. Um, I had planned to read a whole bunch of them to you, but I won't for for the sake of time. But these are Christ's last words to his disciples before he ascends to heaven. It's the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. That is a command for you and for me. And the really easy thing to do here is to like quibble and let's let's make some things happen, you know. Is it as we go or is it go? It's make disciples. It's do that. Don't quibble. For some people, it's go. For some people, it's as you're going. Either way, make disciples. 
It's different than our relationship to other believers because this is about our relationship to the lost. We need to recapture a vision for the need that sinners have for Jesus. Let me tell you how you do that. A couple things you need to do. Your heart needs to be broken for people who don't know Jesus. For people who are lost in sin. My heart is not broken for people who don't know Jesus. It's not the way it ought to be. I don't mourn for them. Don't hurt for them. I think, oh, well, you know, there they go. It's a terrible thing to be lost. It's a terrible thing to not know Christ. It's a terrible thing to not know the God who longs to make himself known to us. We're surrounded by it. It's where we live. This is the world that is around you. It's the world in your place of work. It's the world when you're walking through Walmart. It's the world. They're lost. Christ's attitude towards the world is, I think, reflected. um, He's walking into Jerusalem. And he says in Matthew 23, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Jesus was heartbroken over the city of Jerusalem. He just saw it, and he saw all the pain and all the stupidity and all the stubbornness and all the resistance to what God wanted to do, and he longed to make it better they weren't willing that's the right attitude to have towards the lost to long to make it better to long for that so you need to your heart needs to be broken over sin and you need to be recaptured your heart needs to be recaptured by how great the good news is it's not it's not like mediocre news it's not It's great news that you were lost, but Christ came, and he was holy for you, and he died for you, and he atoned for your sins, and then on the third day he conquered death for you. That is great news. That is news that everyone who is lost needs, and you have it. What are you doing with it? What am I doing with it? I think that it's easy, especially when you live in Appalachia where there's a lot of fire and brimstone preachers that frankly aren't very attractive the way they conduct themselves. It's easy to think, I don't want to be like those guys. Let me tell you what you do need to be like those guys in. You need to be like those guys in that they are serious about the gospel being good news. Now, maybe they don't do it the best way. I would give you that. But they're serious about talking about it. They're serious about saying to people that, hey, this is the actual problem. I think I think there's something there that I'm missing. I think there's probably something there that you are missing if you are not passionate about telling lost people that there's a, there's a fix for their problem. That, that they're... They are sinners, and they need a Savior, and that Savior has come. 
It's the Great Commission. That's that's what we're called to as a church in relation to the world. That's what we need to be doing. That's what Jesus told us to do. If he's your king, you need to be doing it. And our king says he's with us even to the end of the age. I want to talk real briefly about the end. And then we're going to sing Amazing Grace. The end of the ark. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. I just talked about the job of the church is to be Christ's church, to be led by him in relation to God, to give him the glory in relationship to each other, to be moving towards maturity and to be equipped for ministry and in relationship towards the world to, to evangelize, to be the gospel to people. And our king is with us to the end. So remember earlier I talked about the already, not yet. Already, not yet. You know, the kingdom has already come, but it's not yet instituted fully. One day Jesus is coming. He's coming to restore everything, to make a new heaven and a new earth. I'm going to read to you real quick. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first time. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in all things being made new. That, I started out saying that the topic for this sermon sounded a little bit like a sci-fi novel. Guys, let me tell you, God's plan for the earth is more fantastic than the most fantastic fantasy novel I've ever read. God's plan is huge. He's going to make all things new. He's going to call his bride to him. That's the church. That's the not yet. But one day, it won't be not yet anymore. It will come. Now, I'm not going to, obviously, since I'm already five minutes over my time, I'm not going to settle all your eschatological questions for you. Um, eschatological, that means things about the end, guys. Um, I'm not going to settle all your end times questions. And in fact, um, what I will tell you is that in the Providence Bible Church Confession of Faith, here's what we say. We believe in the personal bodily return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The dead will be raised bodily and the world will be judged. Unbelievers will be condemned to eternal conscious punishment in the lake of fire, and believers will be welcomed into, into eternal blessedness and joy with the Lord. That's it. That's all we say. 
that's not because we don't have opinions and thoughts about you know which system of understanding the book of revelation is the right one but it's because we seek to fellowship broadly with brothers and sisters who think slightly different things about that that's okay we're not scared by that if you believe that christ is coming back that's our hope as christians christ's return So if you want to discuss which particular end times chart you like, I'm happy to discuss that with you. I don't really have a favorite. Um, But what I want to affirm today is that Christ is coming and he is the hope of all who believe. And he will make all things right and all things new. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Next week, Moon's going to teach about the membership covenant um, that is the things that we were going to affirm as members of Providence Bible Church. Uh, we have copies of that membership covenant by the door. Um, if, if you want to read one over before next week, I think that's a great thing. Um, it's going to be a good day. And he'll talk about the particulars of the kinds of things that Providence Bible Church wants to do. A little more vision. What I've given you is what the church ought to be, but not what the church ought to do. Let me say this, though. We need to be people who want what Christ wants for his church. And what he wants for his church in Scripture is that we would worship God, that we would push each other towards maturity, that we would equip each other for ministry, and that we would go out and tell the world the gospel. We need to be people who long for Christ's return. If you don't know Jesus, that's all foreign to you. And I wish you'd get to know him, and I'd love to tell you about him. And if you do know Jesus, my prayer for you is that you'd act like it. That you'd take your responsibilities as part of the church seriously. And I want you to know that's not just my prayer for you, that's my prayer for me. God is about accomplishing serious things with his church. He wants to do that. Long for that to happen here locally through Providence Bible Church. Let's pray, and then if you will, stand with me. We'll sing Amazing Grace. Let's pray. God, our Father, we love you. We long to be your people. We long to see your kingdom come and your will done on earth like it is in heaven. And we know that that day is coming. God, we're so thankful for Jesus. He is our Savior. He has changed everything. We're freed from bondage to sin. We're freed to be your people, to love you, to give you all the glory. God, help us to do that. We love you. In Jesus' name.